I am so excited to be back recording, have some energy to share with you some further ideas and thoughts on resilient discipleship. I will say I had someone suggest to me, and I think it might be a better name to call it robust discipleship, which means like a full, more fuller plan. Is fuller even a word? I don't even know. Anyway, and I think for the sake of continuity, we'll call it resilient discipleship. But I think it having that pointed out, it was helpful because I am talking and wanting to lean into a more uh, wholesome, well-developed plan when it comes to discipleship. And many of the things that I have talked about have been important in, I think, any growth. But one of the questions that has come up repeatedly, and I'd like to lean into a little more in, you know, season 2B, um, is thinking about what do I wish I had known or someone had told me about what to expect. And I also wish someone would talk specifically now because our culture is dealing with things that have never been dealt with. I think specifically technology, social media, so there are some specific things I believe when it comes to spiritual practices or some intentionality that is required. And I want to kind of dig into some of those in this next season. Um, so today we're going to start off with something that I wish someone had said to me many years ago, um, maybe when I was young. I don't know how well you want to prepare someone for the presence of doubt in their life of faith. But I wish that someone had prepared me that at some point I'm going to question what I believe. And I will be in good company. And when I say this, I feel like when we talk about doubt and faith, poor Thomas, he really gets a bad rap. In history, that disciple has been always known as Doubting Thomas. And Doubting Thomas needs to see Jesus' hands and feet and not only see them, but he has to put his, imagine him like Jesus holding out his hands and he actually touches the scars. But I feel like my experience of Thomas and the way he was talked about was never positive. And so I think what I inferred from that was that doubting was not something that someone who was a strong Christ follower would do. And in the last couple of years, I wouldn't say I've doubted my faith, but I had the confidence to say, oh, if this is true, which is me doubting my faith or doubting a belief, then what? Or is this true? Because I'm saying it's true, but I'm not living like it's true. And I ended up landing on a couple verses in Matthew that I just wanted to share with you that gave me immense comfort And I would even say maybe help build the resiliency of like expecting in advance, you know, sort of that preparation of, oh yeah, at times you're going to wonder if what you believe is true because what you see isn't necessarily going to line up with what you believe or what you declare. And I think the easiest place we see this is in our own experiences of life being hard. And we have these moments where we say, okay, well, I'm saying God is good, 
but my experience is threatening this belief. Like, how do I understand God is good when X, Y, or Z is happening? And so I think that's maybe the most obvious tension of when we have a doubt. But I would say in general, at some point, questioning beliefs, I would say is, if I'm allowed to say it, a healthy part of growth and ownership. And there's a couple different writers you can draw on. Um, I think one is called, uh, Stephen Fowler wrote Stages of Faith. And he talks about, he kind of uh, uses the analogy of like um, adult or like child development into adulthood and liken some of the faith development of like, you know, a child just needs to be told what to do. When someone starts to believe, they will kind of need to be told what to believe or how to behave. And then there's a point where they start to become independent in that and figure out what they're adopting as theirs and what they don't want to keep. Okay, we're talking about the teenage years here and then there's like this emerging of where they have integrated in into themselves and so they they understand how to like hold how they were raised but also what they believe about the world that is a very loose uh, parallel he does a way greater job at that but i do think it says that there's a point in everyone's faith journey with probably different beliefs where doubt is going to be a thing and it's actually part of your discovery and ownership and I would say integration of your faith and I just wonder I realize I'm talking on here and haven't yet got to the passage but I just wonder if some of the quote-unquote deconstruction that has happened in the in the church is actually doubting faith but it we didn't really have an outlet for it or maybe someone who completely deconstructed their faith became the outlet and expression of doubt because it wasn't talked about and it hasn't been talked about, I think, as part of discipleship. And so this is why I feel it is important to address this. And I'm kind of like starting off with that as part of my next chapter in this resilient or robust discipleship series is to say that doubt is a very normal part of faith. I think what makes you own something is at some point you've had to say, do I just believe this as an intellectual like concept or what does this mean if I actually believe it? And is this going to hold water uh, to use an analogy if I live into this thing? And the place that I found a lot of comfort um, and have really landed and come back to a number of times is John the Baptist in Matthew 11. So remember, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He's six months older, if I can even say it. Like, he recognized Jesus in, when he was in the womb, like he leapt, whether that he knew that. But I think he would live his whole life knowing that he has, he has a special cousin. And this cousin is coming, and his job is to be this sort of weirdo who lives in the desert and eat locusts and has wild... Like, he probably has such a reputation. He, he clearly also does not care what people think. And then Jesus comes to him, right? And they have this moment where Jesus wants to be baptized by John. And John's kind of saying, like, I'm sorry, this is the wrong way around. And Jesus says, no, you have to be part of this story in this way. So say, John is pretty convinced Jesus is it, if I'm allowed to say that. And and he we can see that even in John's, like, the one who's coming, I'm whose sandals I'm not even willing or able to tie. But something happens in John... John ends up in prison. 
This is chapter 11 of Matthew. Here's about the deeds of the Messiah. He sends his disciples. So John had his own group of followers to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? A simple question, but I cannot imagine the doubt. I don't know what John was expecting when Jesus said, you have to baptize me to fulfill what was spoken in the prophets. This moment we've been working, you know, moving towards for our whole lives, literally. And a couple chapters later, Jesus gets sent this question. I mean, John must have been really, really confused. Are you the one? And maybe John had this doubt because he thought Jesus is going to come. I don't know what he's thinking. Like maybe I get to serve under Jesus. I get to follow Jesus. Things are going to get easier. Maybe he even thought Jesus is going to come riding in on that horse. Like he's going to come and actually rescue us. And all I hear about is my cousin now wanders around Israel, doesn't stay in one place. The people he attracts are a bunch of misfits. He's touching, you know, people that shouldn't be touched to heal them. He is giving sight to the blind. Cool. But I don't see anything changing with Rome. And not only that, John is in prison. John has this moment of doubt about who Jesus is. And Jesus has to reassure him. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now the verse Jesus is referring to, or I think John certainly would have known he is inferring Isaiah 61. I mean, it's it's quoted more clearly in Luke 4. But the Lord, the sovereign spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus is essentially saying to John, who would have heard this, um, memorized this growing up, this, this is me. Like, I'm the one, the spirit of the Lord is on me. I think it is going to the source I think Jesus uh, speaks profoundly to, to John here, but John is dealing with his own doubts about his faith. And the thing that John does is he seeks clarity from Jesus. Is it really you? He says, is this you? Are you the one for whom we have waited. What a question to ask for someone who had invested his whole life in the coming of the Christ. I think if anyone would have known it, it would have been John. 
and John is having a moment of doubt. And Jesus answers him really tenderly, but with a declaration, uh, going back to the scriptures. And I think this is an important point for me, I would say, around doubt. Because I think what's happened, when people have doubts, we end up listening to other people who have doubts and may not go to the source and say, is this really you, Jesus? Or what do you have to say about this, Jesus? And I think the danger sometimes of what has happened in in a, in a moment of doubt is we have ended up too much listening or finding ourselves in the counsel of other people with the same doubts, which only creates further doubt because now we have more voices speaking in to that area. Notice that Jesus doesn't invalidate his question. He doesn't say, you know better. <laughs> he doesn't say, I'm sorry, what, cuz? Like, hello, you know me. You know the story. He just answers him with, I think, a reminder of, of John's own deeply rooted um, knowledge of the scriptures. The Messiah, the one to come, will have the spirit of the Lord and will be doing miraculous signs. And so I think it's important to name that when you're having doubts, like when I have had doubts in my own journey of faith, is this true? Is God really this? Or is this what he's asking of me? Is that I go back to him with them. And I think it's really important to, to go to the source of, of the one that you doubt or the thing that you doubt. Um, and I'm not saying community is important. Like notice, like John does have his disciples. He sends his disciples and Jesus actually says like, like report back to John what you see. So I think there is certainly an element and needs to be a, a discernment and discussion in community when it comes to doubt. But my hope is in the takeaway is that preparing yourself to have moments where you wonder if, if Jesus is it or if the way he's invited you to live, like have I heard correctly or is this really the invitation, is that you go running back to Jesus for cor counsel, correction, confirmation, conviction, all of those C words that are good and lead us into deeper relationship. And then in that process, yes, invite people in and um, acknowledge those those questions, I think. And my hope is too, as a as a pastor, that we can create a space in church for doubts. And I want to just say this to you, if you're on the receiving end of someone who is struggling with their faith, don't jump into anxiety fixing mode. Like I think that sometimes has shut down the conversations around doubt too quickly and people feel like they are silenced or they feel um, even shame, I would say, around the doubt. And you know how Satan loves shame because it puts it in the dark and he likes to grow things where they can't be seen. But when you bring these things out into the light, someone has shared with you that they're feeling a sense of doubt or they wonder if this is true. I think the, here is the moment where you get to ask 
the story behind that question because people didn't arrive with these questions um, in a vacuum. There is a story there about why why things are being troubled or stirred up. And if we believe that God is always working on behalf of those who love him and he seeks to uh, honor and his eye is looking for those who whose heart is turned towards him i believe god will be found uh, by by the doubts in the doubts jesus will meet people in the doubts but sometimes we are not even biased and sometimes we are invited into that process to hear someone's doubts and to say is this really the way is this really what god is asking and instead to say, is God really asking that? Let's go to him and ask him that. And and yeah, maybe the story would turn out a lot differently for those of us who have just struggled to have clarity around things we're, we're doubting. And so my question to take away is, is maybe start a conversation like, with the Lord? Is there areas where you have doubted or go back and to say, I wasn't sure in my own story if this was true or I was sure it was true until a situation happened. And then I realized I I don't know if I believe this. And so what did you do in those moments? Who did you talk to? And let it be that you talked first to Jesus.